So welcome to episode six of Undefined with Josina Anderson. And on this edition, we've got a packed episode with three big guests in the Third Eye interview segment, that being Titan Safety, Kevin Byard, international reggae star Spraga Benz, and this lady who is known as Mama Medicine on Instagram. Her name is Deborah Hennekamp. She's an initiated shaman and definitely looking forward to sharing that conversation with you all. But I've been trying to incorporate this segment called Real Cup of JoJo into these episodes where I can kind of share my insider knowledge around the National Football League and just anything that I'm thinking you know, throughout the week. And one of the comments that I wanted to make real quick before we started was just in regards to a few players. Antonio Brown, who signed that one-year deal with the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers, obviously prorated when his suspension ends. And um, a lot of people have been saying, oh, is he going to, you know, be able to behave himself? And was this a smart, you know, deal for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and all these other things? And at least when it comes to football and what we've seen on social media just within that quadrant, I think you got to give Antonio Brown credit I mean, he's been pretty quiet, um, probably more so than a lot of people would have expected, you know, based on what we were seeing last season. And I think those are, you know, a couple first steps that at least need to be highlighted. And hopefully it's a reflection of his mentality and how serious he's going to take this uh, through the rest of the season for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I remember uh, during a Super Bowl in Miami when he gave me a call and told me he was around the corner uh, having lunch, brunch, whatever you want to call it with uh, Tom Brady and telling me to come down because at that point I was trying to get the interview that I did with them Super Bowl Sunday. And the reason why I bring that up really more so is just to, you know, reflect the the bond that the two of them have been building um, whether it goes back to his days, you know, short days or times with the Patriots and the fact that Tom Brady's done a really good job of keeping up. I think so, you know, once you saw or heard that the Buccaneers had kind of, you know, just, you know, given into, you know, allowing this to happen, don't think really Seattle had any um, any chance, even though many of us thought, um, me included, that he was going to go there if the Bucks were not back into the scene. And then lastly, with uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Landon Collins, uh, two former Giants uh, incurring season-ending injuries on the same day, really just goes to underline how brutal the game is. But um, I wanted to say to both of them, um, you know, get well soon. You all have been so, you know, helpful to me, you know, always looking out and all those things. And uh, I expect both of you all to come back uh, bigger and better than ever. And I'm sure uh, your fans around the National Football League um, share the same sentiment. So with that, let's move on to uh, Rip the Headlines, the segment you all have been looking forward to uh, week to week where we talk to a couple comedians. Uh, this time it's just one, uh, comedian Delay, who's also joining us uh, for this episode to uh, look back on the headlines from this past week. All right, guys. So we are pleased, already crunk, already pushing it out and flexing on with the palm trees behind them. I have no idea what island that is. That might be no man's island. But we are bringing in comedian and author D-Lay, otherwise known as It's D-Lay on Instagram, into the Undefined with Josina Anderson studio. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, JoJo. And you were wondering about the beach. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm in an undisclosed location mm. somewhere far, far, far uh -huh. from where you are. Okay. From where you are. Are you so hiding your accounts on the it's Cayman Islands? Are you only three people on the island and we're social distancing <laughs> is in place. 
Is it Survivor? Are you like the 104th episode <laughs> or season of Survivor? <laughs> All right, so we're going to do Rip the Headlines as we always do every week where we look back at the headlines from the past week and have fun with them with comedians. So the first headline that we have comes courtesy of USA Today where Jared Kushner is criticized after saying black Americans need to want to be successful. We all know Jared Kushner as the White House advisor and the son-in-law of President Trump. He said black people, quote, need to break out of the problems that they're complaining about because he, speaking of the president, Donald Trump, can't want them to be more successful than they want to be successful. I mean, that has a lot of balls. Pity, Pity Pendergrass. Wow, Jared. First of all, let's just get this straight. Jared Kushner uh, is like a man with no index finger. Okay. Uh, he's missing the point. <laughs> he is missing the goddamn point. Okay. He's rich. Yes. You, gotta, you can't expect him to be thinking about like normal shit. This man was, when he was born, he's worth $13 million. So he ain't living in the world that we live in. I'm just curious. Uh, what would you think if uh, Jared Kushner was trying to go to the south side of Chicago? If he go on the south side of Chicago, he's going to be in a goddamn helicopter. He's going to be in a helicopter just hovering over shit because he ain't going down on land right. in Chicago and saying that shit. He'll say it from the helicopter right. on a bullhorn. Well, let's move along to headline two. And this comes courtesy delay of the Washington Post. Cowboys players taking heat for not doing more to defend Cowboys quarterback Andy Dalton after a blow to the head. Now, you know, in the third quarter of that game against the Washington football team, linebacker John Bostic delivered this blow to his head. You could see some of the linemen gathering around uh, Dalton. But what happened was is that no one came to defend the quarterback, as in going after John Bostic. I mean, so I'm just curious. If you were in the hood delay, nobody went to uh, say anything to this dude trying to jump you. I mean, how would you feel about that? First of all, their real quarterback is out, so that ain't their real quarterback. Oh, no wow. Wow. Is that what it is? You know how people treat substitute teachers? Like stir-fried <laughs> shit. You don't know. You know your real teacher coming back. Nah. Nah. Nah, man. They don't know you like that. I mean, but this is the quarterback now, D-Lady. They're supposed to adopt the new quarterback into their team. You can't treat him like a substitute right. teacher because guess what? You're going to get substitute results. Had it been somebody that they believed in and they trusted, they'd have started all kind of shit. They'd have kicked up all kind of dust. Mm -hmm. There'd have been a brawl on that damn field. Mm -hmm. What they did. Mm -hmm. Amen. You all right? <laughs> you all right? This is the guy that's been to the playoffs with the Bengals. He's not a scrub. And he's a good guy. He's a good guy, D-Lay. Probably is a good, good, good guy. Mm -hmm. Come from a good family. Mm -hmm. Probably go to church. Mm -hmm. You know, when church was going on, he's probably, you know, he's probably, you know, a man that you read his Bible two, three times a month. You know, he probably is a good guy. I'm mad that they did him like that. I don't like that they did him like that. Oh, you don't like I don't like that. I'm on oh, his side. I couldn't, tell. I couldn't tell before, actually. I'm just Oh, no, I'm on his side. You're on, I'm on his side. side. How? I'm, not, oh. I'm just expressing Mm. I'm expressing how the players treated him. Oh, what you that's saw. How, that's what I'm expressing. What you saw. Yeah. Okay. So we'll move on to headline three here. This comes from foxnews.com. An airport employee ranks nicest to meanest celebs that she interacted with at LAX. Now, this employee is known as at underscore Sin Cindy on social media. Uh, I guess this take of hers went viral on TikTok. She was ranking celebs like Kendall Jenner with the two who she said, quote, according to this article, walked around really arrogant. Nicki Minaj got a two, according to this article, allegedly 
Lee for saying that she would not get off the aircraft until everybody got off the aircraft. Of course, that's her claim per this article. Actors like Chris Hemsworth got a 10 out of 10 for being always polite. I'm not showing up at LAX randomly evaluating you. I'm not going on my Instagram and anonymously ranking LAX employees. So why do I have to go to the airport and look out for potentially people ranking me on TikTok. I mean, come on now. And ma'am, yes. who gave you ranking credentials? Okay, <laughs> who told you to start ranking people? You ain't got no kind of certification to be ranking people. How about I just start doing TSA rank checks? Some of y'all off the rip getting three from your face. Your face, what you screwed up for? You supposed to be smiling. I didn't ask you to fill out the application. Oh. You filled out the goddamn application and went asking them people for a job. Now smile, goddamn it, I'm trying to get to Texas. All right, D-Lay, let's move on to headline number four. Baker Mayfield quoting DMX, which he said, just quote, just got back on track, whatever it takes to win. Stop, drop, shut them down, open up shop. And I'm just curious, D-Lay, how do you feel about Baker Mayfield, the quarterback from the Browns, quoting DMX after this win over the Bengals, um, a track from 1998 uh, in 2020? Well, first of all, <laughs> uh, I'm glad he quoted that lyric. I thought it was it's a lot of more lyrics that DMX said that could have been a whole much more controversial than that. It's a lot of shit he could have said. Shout out to hip hop. Oh, so you love this coming from Baker Mayfield, the fact that it just Shout out to hip hop, Baker. First name, Baker. You know that's the last name. That's black people's last name. Baker. That's his first name. Come so, on, you think he ain't got soul? So you, Baker. you, you feeling swag from the name regardless. One of the first riddles you ever learned mm -hmm. was patty cake, patty cake, what? Baker. Baker's man, <laughs> goddammit. I don't know if that's, that's hip hop, though. That's, that's, uh, that's a nursery bars. rhyme. I don't I don't know if patty cake is uh, hip hop, though. So I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I mean, everything is hip hop. Uh, I mean, okay, hip -hop, okay, okay. So it's patty cake, a patty cake, baker's man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, listen, DJ, we appreciate you joining us on Rip the Headlines for this segment. Coming up next, we've got Titan Safety, Kevin Bayard, coming into the Undefined Studio. Delay, thank you for coming in and thank joining you, us Jojo. for this segment. We appreciate you. You. you know what I'm no, saying? No, trying to, trying to be in the action, trying to be a spotlight. She trying to be, you know, just like P. Diddy all up in the videos. <laughs> <laughs> You See, got a nice little set up there, though. I you, like, you know, you look. Like, thank you. Yeah. You sounding like Jarvis right now. You know, saying, "Oh, I like the feng shui you got going." No, get off the court. Okay, <laughs> nah, so, for real, I love it. I appreciate it. I need you to sit down, come off the court before you mess up the audio. So we are welcoming in Titan Safety, Kevin Byer to the Undefined Studio with yours truly, Josina Anderson. Thank you for joining me. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me. In what ways would you say that this team is different from last year in terms of how you guys have grown, no, whether it's even as men, teammates, fathers, players, you know what I'm saying? The things that really kind of unite a team, even if there's an example. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I've for sure grown as, as a person, the father. Should I have uh, just had a son uh, over the over training camp? Um, I got two kids now, which is awesome. But uh, yeah, just I just think just as a, when you look at this entire pandemic, you know what I'm saying? Just like everybody pretty much happened to really be home and be around. I think you kind of just realize, you know, things that matter, um, realize stuff that's important to you. And I think that's something that I really realized just obviously, you know, his family, 
family, faith, and football. And I think that's the majority of people that we have on our team. That's what's important to them. You know, we don't have, I would say, a lot of distractions or guys that create distractions on our team. I think guys are just really totally locked in. They love ball. We all love ball. The coaches love ball. And I think we have a combination of all those things, man. You have, you know, a team that's that's in a great position that we're in right now. You know, when I'm watching the Titans game, <laughs> and I don't even—I'm trying to figure out when the last Titans game that I that I've actually been to Tennessee for. I think uh, Vince Young might have still been over there. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a minute ago. It's been a minute, just just a couple of just a couple seasons ago, not really. But you know, when I'm watching the games, one of the things that stands out to me about Mike Rabel is just how intense and involved he is in the game with his passion he looks super cool and relatable but I'm curious how does he draw that line between being cool with y'all and being HM as in Mary I see <laughs> as in the head man in charge <laughs> head coach let me get that straight <laughs> so I mean it's crazy because when Vrabel for obviously before Vrabel was here we had coach Mike Malarkey who was a real cool old school laid-back coach uh, practice was, was pretty laid back. Um, when Vrabel first got here, I just remember, like, every day he would be out there early in practice working with the D-line. He got this big little pad that he got on his chest. And they're out there doing, like, shooting their hand drills. And, like, these guys are punching him in his chest. His glasses flying off everywhere. Yeah. But he's, like, hella into it. You know what I'm saying? He's super into it. He's running around in every position group, coaching up everybody. Obviously, he's a defensive coach, so he's a lot more engaging on the defense. And over time, he's learned more about, you know, offense and stuff like that. He's coaching receivers, coaching the running backs. Um, just like you said, he's really engaged and intense on the sidelines. But like you said, he does draw the line. Because one one thing about it, uh, when he first got here, uh, I think it was like our first OTA practice. Um, and it was a practice, but like a simple run play down the field. And uh, he got on Taylor Lewan pretty good. And obviously Taylor Lewan had just was about to become the highest paid offensive tackle in uh, NFL history. Um, but it was one play like he just didn't sprint like maybe all the way down the field where <laughs> Darren Henry was running the ball. Right. And he was running back to Huddle to get ready for the next play. And he, you know, just tore him up. You know what I'm saying? About like the effort and you're not showing no effort and stuff like that. So we just kind of like, oh. <laughs> like, right. You know what I'm saying? And then we had this deal where it's called, we had a low light tape. You know what I'm saying? Right if it was practice or a game or whatever. And you just knew when you came in, you didn't want to be on the low lights. You know what I'm saying? You did not want to be on the low lights. So yeah. uh, he definitely draws that line where he's cool with the guys. He's a very player, player, player's coach, honestly, in my opinion. He talks to me, talks to the leaders on the team all the time, getting our opinion about stuff. But, you know, when it comes to that meeting room and it comes to the film, he'll get on you real quick just to show the younger guys and everybody that, you know, nobody's, nobody's safe. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So he get after Taylor even right before he get ready to secure the bag. Like, I don't know. I don't care how many zeros you get ready to put in that bag. You better go hustle like everybody else. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's get to that Steelers game. Obviously not the result that you guys wanted. Did you even sleep? Uh, I don't usually sleep very well at the losses, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's been like that since probably college. Mm. Uh, I usually stay up, watch the film like 10 times, just critiquing every little thing that I may have done, just looking at, you know, the team as a whole. Um, but, you know, it was one, of, it was a hard for our game, man. It came all the way down to the end. Obviously, we didn't play good in the first half defensively, but, you know, being a resilient bunch, like I said, man, we was able to fight back and get ourselves in position. And, you know, our kicker just ended up not making the field goal uh, to tie the game at the end. But, you know, you're looking at a good playoff team like Pittsburgh, man, you can't spot them you know, 27 points in the first half and expect that our offense is always going to bail us out. 
and uh, get a comeback victory like we have done in the past. So we got to be more consistent for sure. So speaking of the 27 points, obviously the Steelers had gotten up 27 to seven from a defensive standpoint, what even allowed that point spread to even occur from your defensive perspective? We're the worst third down defense in the league right now. And it's very disappointing to me. And I take a lot of pride in just our defense and our performance. Third and one, third and two, usually the percentage tends to go to the offense. But when you're giving up third and mediums, third and longs, uh, especially when the offense may be backed up, uh, it's kind of unacceptable. And I think we just got to be more detailed and understanding uh, what offenses are trying to do to us. Uh, and usually, man, it, it's just a play here, uh, a step, you know, step here too late or something like that. Um, a guy slips and falls, guy breaks a tackle and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the numbers aren't good right now. We have to fix that going forward if we really want to make a deep playoff run and try to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, because even though no individual Steeler uh, got over 100 yards uh, rushing, Juju Smith-Suster, James Conner, Deontay Johnson still had solid days at 80-plus yards or more. Good thing is y'all kept Chase Claypool to negative two receiving yards, which was his lowest output after he was starting to have a little bit of outbreak. But I'm curious, you know, what was the decision behind um, having so much off coverage? Usually Ben Roethlisberger just sees press coverage, and man-to-man, he's going to throw the go ball. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, especially when you're looking at how the referees are calling games now – you know, if a guy's pressed up and he's throwing a deep ball, if a guy just jumps up and flails his arm, they call him pass interference. They actually call it pass interference on Michael Butler yesterday, which I feel like was pretty iffy. But that's just how referees are calling the game. So a lot of times you're playing off coverage. But at the same time, like I was saying, understanding situations, uh, understanding what the offense is trying to do to us. Uh, ben Rosberg was just throwing little quick dump off passes and guys able to break a tackle and we get up a third down. So I think we're going to have to be critical about that, you know, in, in, in the meeting room to understand that, hey, we got to start challenging guys and uh, getting guys face. And not necessarily press, but, you know, if, if it's third and six, third and seven, you know, we don't want to be off at eight to nine yards, maybe be all around five yards, be able to create that contact right before the sticks. And like I said, challenge guys. You know, what's interesting to me is because I think of you guys as such a alpha you know, physical defense. So when I was looking up the stats for the defense, I was surprised that you guys are giving up 25.5, you know, points a game and, and, you know, just what's going on with the total yardage. I think you guys are 17th and 25th respectively there. So when you look ahead to the game against the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that's won five and one and had six of those games uh, decided by um, within a single score, what tweaks do you feel like are the most important to make in terms of not having those issues on third down in terms of not allowing the team to get in the end zone. Which is being detailed with, you know, our game plan this week, understanding the guys we're going up against. What are their, what are their strengths? What are their play strengths? What do they do? Well, what are their weaknesses? Uh, Joe Burrows is very talented. He's really willing those guys, like you said, put them in position to almost win every game that they're in. He's a great quarterback, even though he's a rookie. I mean, this guy's tremendous. I mean, I'm watching him on, like, obviously TV. I haven't, you know, dove into the film yet. But, I mean, he's very talented. He's really willing those guys, like you said, put them in position to almost win every game that they're in. Uh, so, yeah, understanding, you know, what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And um, Bray would tell us this all the time. When you go out there, you line up and you get the call, always think about what's the worst thing that can happen in this call for you. And protect that first and then play everything else. Mm -hmm. So, I think we have to be in the more of that mindset, uh, you know, going forward. 
Yeah, that's crazy because Joe Burrow, he's got nine touchdowns, five interceptions, completing 66% of his passes right now. When you look at some of their star players, Giovanni Bernard, um, receivers T. Higgins, Tyler Bort, A.J. Green, um, what are you most looking forward to, even though I know you still got to delve into the film, with that uh, matchup? And how do you feel like kind of like their star players compared to the challenges that you've seen so far this season? Yeah, I mean, A.J. Green is, is – has always been one of those top receivers in the NFL. There's somebody that you're always going to have to face and try to stop him for sure. I've been watching T. Higgins a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, he's a actually a good rookie as well, along with Joe Burrows. He's been really coming on. He's making big plays every single time I cut the film. or not cut the film or just cut the TV on. Mm-hmm. It's a Bengals game, so he's doing very well. Uh, Bernard's been around the league for a minute. A really good uh, guy at the backfield that can catch the ball. He can run the ball well. Um, like Just like you said, I, I will try to watch the film. I'm not sure if Joe Mix is going to play or not. But uh, he's one of the top running backs in the league if he plays as well. This game is going to be a big game for us trying to rebound off this loss against Pittsburgh. Last few questions. Um, Just seeing Derrick Henry in practice, has he ever done to you all in practice as defenders? As what he's done to Earl and Josh Norman? I mean, just tell me how y'all handle Derrick in practice. (laughs) I mean, obviously, man, we don't want to be out here diving at the King's legs during practice. Because nobody's – I don't think any DB uh, is smart to try to tackle him up high or try to punch the ball out, do whatever Josh Norman was trying to do. Right. But uh, I've seen this man do some impressive things just in practice. Like, I've seen him run through the hole a couple times and just knock his own offensive lineman flat on their stomach. What? Like, really? I mean, honestly, like I said, me and Derek got drafted together. He was second round, I was third round. Yeah. And I just remember on my rookie year, um, looking around the locker room, obviously I see Derek. I mean, I'm, like, this guy's a God-given talent, God-given size. And I'm looking around at everybody else. I'm thinking, like, man, this guy is literally bigger than all of our linebackers, half of our deep, like, outside linebackers. And I'm like, bro, the only people on the team that's bigger than him is our offensive line and defensive line. I'm like, this guy's going to be a real problem. And I see why, you know, he won the Heisman at Bama. I mean, he's just a special guy, man. It's just like, you know, like I said, God created him differently. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the best way to put it, right? Like a a darn man child. I think he was saying that the only person I think he said he couldn't stiff arm, it was Jadavian Clowney or some quote I think I've seen him say or or whatever. But uh, yeah, (laughs) clearly he's uh, been uh, embarrassing somebody. And he he even said that his intent is to be disrespectful. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. He's done that plenty He's done that plenty of times. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I just want to give you an opportunity to also talk about your team leader, Ryan Tannehill. Is there a week um, or a time this season, or even going back to last year when he took over as starter, that stands out to you where you would say, Kevin, that he made that significant leap as the leader of the team and something he did set on how he performed? Once he finally came in in that Broncos game and he kind of sparked the offense and the coach told us that he was going to be the starter, it really wasn't a change. I mean, I think he's just one of those guys is always going to stay even kill. He doesn't get too high. doesn't get too low. Obviously, this man's having a MVP season right now. You know what I'm saying? And he's not out here, you know, promoting himself or doing anything crazy. Like that. He's just being Ryan Tannehill. I mean, this guy's facing adversity down there in Miami, and now he's here. And I think he's just really appreciative of having another opportunity to be a, a franchise quarterback for another team. And he just, you know, taking advantage as much as he can. He's really a great guy. Uh, awesome quarterback. I'm glad he's our quarterback. So then tell me something I don't know about Ryan Tannehill. I mean, you know, does he like Jello? You know, know. <laughs> something I don't something know. About don't Ryan. know. Mm-hmm. Um, they say he's a cool guy, but I mean, he's not really. Um, how would I say? He doesn't really care about like his dress game and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? He's not a guy that you're gonna see 
and you know, in them in them tunnel pictures with you know with the drip on or whatever, like okay. you know, like say he, he just one of those type of dude. Exactly, you know what I'm saying? Just going there with a little regular black t-shirt, a jacket, and some jeans. You know what I'm saying? But uh, like I say, he's a real cool, even kill dude, man. He's not a guy. He's not a rah rah type of guy. Obviously, he does break down the hoods a lot of times and, and gets us riled up and stuff like that. But uh, so basically, you're saying his fashion is regular schmegular. <laughs> Exactly. You know what I'm saying? He's definitely regular. Um, obviously, you know what's going on in the country right now. Um, a lot of social awareness as we march towards the November 3rd election with things that are going on in our country. Um, you're a father, you're a husband, um, you're African-American individual. I'm just curious, you know, what's been kind of most on your heart as we head towards, you know, these times and a very important vote in our country in, in less than 10 days? Me and my wife are going to go vote tomorrow. Uh, it's crazy. It's actually my first time voting, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, something I've talked about with the team a lot, uh, just this offseason, uh, that I've never voted before. I used to feel like my vote didn't count, um, but obviously been learning a lot more and just really doing my research and understanding that, you know, that's complete nonsense. And we have to do what we can as a people uh, to make sure that, because every vote counts, you know what I'm saying? You never know if your vote could be that swing vote uh, to change everything. This offseason, um, we had a deal where, uh, we canceled our practice because of the stuff that was going on in the country. But we took that entire day and sat together as a team and talked about different things that we want to do in the community, uh, different things that we can do to try to change the world. Because obviously, you know, protesting and stuff like that is great, but actually trying to put an actual plan together to try to do some different things. Uh, me, Tannehill, and a couple other guys on the team, we went and talked to our uh, Metro Police Department, had a real good uh, mm. discussion with those guys about different things. I think just bridging that gap, because obviously, in the black African-American community, there's a huge gap between us and the, and the police. There's this point blank period. And I think just be able to talk for talk to them and hear, you know, their sides of the story and just, you know, hear their their viewpoints about different things is pretty good and productive. And I'm gonna to continue to try to work with those guys, especially in our community, because, you know, obviously I want I want all police departments to be different. I want all police departments to be fair. Um, but I can't necessarily affect everyone. So just here in Nashville, trying to do what I can to try to make sure that our streets are safe and nothing like that is happening in our city. Um, but yeah, this, 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 this election is very important for the, the future of our country. Excellent, very articulate. And the last question I have for you, even though you guys suffered your first defeat of the season, is there a message that you and or the Tennessee Titans would like to uh, tell the rest of the league as you all go into your next game against the Bengals and throughout the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're five and one. Uh, it's, it's way uh, worse position that you could be in right now and not being five and one. I mean, obviously it's unfortunate we took our first loss against a really good playoff team that I'm pretty sure We'll see down the road later later this year, but um, I'm I'm happy where the team is. I'm happy where we are right now. We can always improve. We can always get better. We can always look at different things and try to improve on a year. But at the end of the day, we're in a good position. We have to just keep getting better, keep coming together, keep improving. And uh, you know, we'll see Cincy on Sunday. It's going to be a very exciting game, a uh, very important game for us to get out, get back out there, and try to get on our winning ways. Team to beat in the AFC, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, not right now because Pittsburgh, the only undefeated team, so. Right. I would say they are. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we appreciate you joining us in the Undefined Studio. Kevin Byer, the safety from the Tennessee Titans, looking forward to their matchup at Cincinnati against the Bengals. Uh, thank you for joining us, and good luck coming on Sunday, okay? Thank you, Josina. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it. <laughs> of course.
So we are pleased to welcome international reggae artist, actor, and DJ Spraga Benz into the Undefined studio with Josina Anderson, that being yours truly. Spraga, thank you for coming into my studio. Much respect, Josina. I hear Jamaica jumping out right away. Yeah, man. So are you you're in Jamaica right now? No, I'm not in Jamaica. Where are you right now? Right now, I'm in North Carolina. Oh, okay. So you're right down the street. Mm -hmm. So I need to make you drive up to New York and bring me some uh, curry chicken. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other way around. The other way around. I need to come bring it to you. That's right. I need to bring chicken, but you know, yeah. the same fish and all of them. The fish, the Escobis fish. Yeah, yeah. Right, right at home. Right at home. So I need to bring that from mm -hmm. the Bronx and drive come North Carolina. <laughs> Uh, the Bronx have everything. Everything. The Bronx have the real things. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. Rockatone and all these places, they have the real authentic taste in Jamaican food. Of course, of mm -hmm. course. You know, sir, no. Yeah. So listen, <laughs> you just released your ninth studio album, The Journey Chosen. This is a project that follows the release of your last album, Chilagon, a year ago. And so yes. I'm just curious, you know, what inspired the 11th track set on The Journey Chosen right now? I, just, I didn't want to make a whole bunch of whole bunch of songs just wanted to make something solid mm. that my fans can really listen to and and not be bored uh it, you know them them not get tired of listening just something and get to the point and then they want to hear it again because it seems like yeah. this album is a tribute to the things that you really love which is jamaica yes. you know mm -hmm. your, your lady family boot, your family your and son children, which, uh, yeah, all of know, that and youth, yes. Yeah. And one of the tracks that I really, really love is Never Leave, which is obviously dedicated to your deceased son, Carlisle Grant Jr. So can you talk about kind of what influenced, um, you know, the words that you wanted to evoke in this song? Try this. Yeah, yeah. I know the physical part, the spiritual never go away. It never go away, never leave. I know the physical part, the spiritual never go away. I feel it everywhere I be, so I can never say it. What influenced this song overall is that the producer, mm. Lamar Reynolds, mm -hmm. LMR Productions, he he and my son Carly were, were very close friends from school days. Mm -hmm. So when he actually started producing, he had made this beat yeah. for Carly when Carly passed away. Uh, uh, and then like in 2018, he played it for me and saying, you know, he really wanted to make this tribute. And he's been holding on until the right time, till me and him really settled down. So when he played it for me and, you know, felt the vibe, and I knew already what the topic was supposed to be about, you know, so the words was really no problem. Yeah. And when Salam came and, you know, he heard that the direction that we were going, like he got inspired right away and he started playing the bass line for, for the song. What a great influence, what are your friends say you make a big, big difference to inspire them. So the whole thing just, just came together like a, a, a whole family setting because he's his best friend and he's his, his, his godfather and me his father. Yeah, because <laughs> you hear his voice at the beginning of the track. Me again, the last one, the last word. You know, yeah. and you're talking about what happened. You know, obviously, you know, he passed away at the hands of police uh, 
Brutality yeah. in Kingston, Jamaica. So can yes. you talk about how you also feel like you're connecting to your son through this as well? Yes, definitely feel a connection because he, the, even though he has passed away, his presence has in, inspired a, a song which went out to inspire a whole album. Mm. Yeah, so it definitely is, is, a, is a close connection. Is is. It's something that can't, it can't, it can't go away. It can't go anywhere. It just stays with you. When I was listening to the song, it sounds so, you know, personal. And yes. um, it really, you know, has the beat that I love the most on the album. And um, yes. and it also shows, you know, more of a personal side of you, too. And it's kind of the same Definitely. thing. Definitely. Yeah, go ahead on because that. Because some of the lyrics was even about conversations that we had and, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So it, it was really a very personal song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I try to make it, you know, reach out to other people who might be in the same position, but it really is dedicated, you know, and a tribute to Carlisle. Yeah, because he had such a bright future. I mean, he was in the movie Shot Is With You playing the younger version of you as Wayne. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. he was a bright student at Camper Down High and all of these things, you know? You know, he has a lot of my qualities and the same DNA, so, you know, personality and a lot of behavior patterns, you know, people say they are the same. This, this, this whole, that song, Mm -hmm. To me, it means everything because yeah. it's expressing, you know, my feeling mm -hmm. of losing him, but still the, the, the joy of, of feeling him. I don't know how to explain it to you. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah. that's, the, that's the feeling of a father. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and it's a yeah, way... Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's part of you. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. You have the single J, which you did with Kamani Marley, one mm -hmm. Marley's sons, which is a tribute to Jamaica. And even in the uh, yeah. track, Take a Look, you're very reflective of the country. Yeah. So what is it that you wanted to say yeah. about Jamaica in those two tracks, would you say? I think I summarized it in the first line of J. Yeah, Jamaica is like a woman that have the prettiest face and some of the wickedest ways. Yeah. You know, you can't help love her, but yeah. you have to be careful <laughs> around her, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Because yeah. any minute, schizophrenia, she snap and have a gun and a chase. Ten seconds, schizophrenia, she snap and have a gun and a chase. But I'm in place where me love, me not believe it. Jamaica on the country, I'm in now, stop repeat. Where my born, where my real... Jamaica love you this minute and push you up to the top and next minute, everybody tearing you down yeah. at the same time, you know? Yeah. Jamaica is just like, what is one of the most beautiful places with some of the most beautiful people, even though... At a split second, you know, it can be some of the meanest people too. Yeah. You know, but, you know, when you're good there, you're good. And then also you had such a sweet ballad to your lady, which shows your soft side. Talk about my lady too. My lady, what a mystic vibration, mental elevation, and a nice sentiment relation. A lot of times men go through life with, with, with people, mm -hmm. with women beside them that they don't even acknowledge. Mm -hmm. And not because they don't love them, but because they're so busy being men. And doing what we have to do because we feel like we are the breadwinners, or we feel like we have to make sure that survival is in key for everybody and so forth. So the intimate side and the, the, the tender side and the emotional side don't really show much. If I never really tell you, yeah, girl, let me tell you right now. You are everything to me. If I never really tell you, yeah, girl, let me tell you right now. You're the only one I need, and I never So, you know, that song was just a, a way of expressing, you know, the feelings that we have, the love that we have. 
for, for a woman, me personally, but as I say, trying to make it general that for the toughest man, if you don't want to say it, you can just put on the song. <laughs> and it just you know, and it just say him, and yeah. he can keep him, 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 him tough person as you yeah, and she will understand. Say yo, if we never tell you now, tell yeah. me before you know, me tell you right now. Say so, you know, yeah, everything. But I love that you yeah. show that because you know, men always, you know, in a lot of ways, not always, but feel like they have to be tough. And I think yeah, that, macho not, kind of yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And it's not yeah. just that you're being you know romantic yeah. and all these other things, but I think it's important, you know, especially mm -hmm. with all of these you know misogynistic images that we sometimes see in in our music and things like that. Yeah. That you can yes. show that you show your devotion to your one woman, you know, and appreciation, mm -hmm. appreciation. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's hard it. for a man to be devoted, really. And mm -hmm. I shouldn't say that, I'm not talking to every man, but you know, appreciation. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, for what she brings to the household, yes, ma'am, and to your life, <laughs> not just to the household, but to your life and your life. person. And, and yes, yeah. all of that, all of that. So, we're bigging up your woman there. Yeah. So, yeah. for the people who don't know, um, you know, much about you who are listening to my show, let everybody know how is it that you actually came into the business. I actually came into the business on a fluke. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I really love music mm. from ever since, from a younger child. I used to love music. And um, me and my friends used to go to stage shows, you know, even if we can't afford it, we jump the fence. We'll find some way to get in because we have to see this, this, this show tonight, especially if like Lieutenant Stitcher or, or Major Makilal, Professor Nuts performing. After I left school now and uh, I get introduced to some other virgins who had a sound system by the name of Labens yeah. over in Duane Park. Duane Park was a different era from my era. It was Franklin Town, and my era kind of volatile. Yeah. So it was a, a, like a, a peaceful rest to go to Duane Park okay. and be around the sound and listen to music. But then the studio, our studio, was also in my area. Yeah. And they didn't like you to come to my ear because of the, the, the whole, you know, unrest. Yes, they right. Want, if you, if you feel, don't know what you face, I'm going to say, yo, who are you? And you're going to get the page. Right. So my responsibility as a familiar face was go to the studio, mm. get the dub plates, and mm. bring it to the sound. Uh -huh. So in doing all of that, now I got to meet the artists and the, and, and the, the, the different producers and see how music was actually made. Mm -hmm. So one day I brought Bujo, one Sunday we brought Bujo now to do some dub plates at the house. Mm -hmm. And... I Buj asked him Buj for Bantan, one song. Asked, of course, that's what yeah. you mean. Mm -hmm. He had um, a song at the time because I was young, Buj, you know, someone faded, but you know, we not see him no leg. <laughs> and I want that dub plate, so my heart so warm, I love me, I love my bike, I love And I have yeah, yeah. five more songs with my want, but yeah. all these songs cost money. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right, Buj, how may I get this up? I beg him a tune and him say, yeah, I say, no, I say, all right, a two. You know, I would have really like a plate because it takes four songs to actually feel a plate on yeah. both sides. Yeah. So I say, but you know, I want a plate. Yeah. Which was very presumptuous. Yeah. And he must say, well, if you want four, you mad, me the two and you do the next two. <laughs> you know, I, if, if you don't, do the, you can't waste the, the, the yeah. two sides, you know. Yeah, we yeah, want to fill yeah. the whole place. So I must say, you do the next two. So I say, all right. Never get them for the right next two, anyways. But do your two now. I'm never do my. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when him do for him two now, and him say, You know. Yeah. And they gave me the mic, and I started to chant a little thing off the top of my head, like a four lines. And all of my friends in the room, everybody, are, yo, yo, blue, blue, you know. <laughs> After that was finished you now, and in the night, Ricky Villa called me and said, Yo, you know, you have to finish right that song, though, because we need that as an exclusive place. So finish right what you was doing. Yeah. Like the first moment, I'm, I'm hoarse already. Yeah, because you need the vocal endurance. I didn't have that because yeah. this is my first time first doing this time. thing. So, mm. you know, 
my voice was small and cracky and everything, but the the, the, the frequency and the lyrics was effective. Yeah. So the people gravitated to the song and it became the biggest song in our catalogue. Yeah. With an artist that nobody know. Yeah. So you know that was my introduction into the whole thing. It was okay. kind of reluctant because with the, the popularity of my first two, three songs, nobody still didn't know who. Who you were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I really like about you other than you know just your flow and how you you know you go with the lyrics and everything like that is your voice your voice is so deep and it's so rich you know and it's distinct yeah. so where you get that voice from <laughs> most i <laughs> yeah <laughs> just just bless me okay this is me this is no made up this is no nothing just yeah. as a sound on the record just as a sound speaking yeah yes yeah it's yeah. just me yeah, you have such a good voice and you've had such big commercial collabs with Nas on This Is The Way, Foxy Brown on Oh Yeah, Box Shot with Lady Shaw, Red Dot Special with Swiss Beats, Shabarangs, you've done things with uh, Bow Wow, Julian Marley, Stefan Marley. So in those days when, you know, when people come to really know for your contributions to the dancehall movement in, in the 1990s, what inspired your flow in the way that you would ride the beats in that, mo in that moment and era in your music? I don't know. Just a natural vibe because people, my peers have told me that they never really hear nobody sounding like me before me, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they say my rhyme scheme is, is, is uncommon. Like you have two lines now and then you get the rhyme like three lines down, four lines down, but you know, you can feel a connection with all the, 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 the lyrics coming to the rhymes. Mm -hmm. So, and then my voice and my vocal delivery was different because at the time when I was coming around, everybody's voice had that big shabba bujo voice, you know, if you don't have that voice, and you're not saying nothing, and then me, yeah, I get a hype up you, that's the reaction I used to get yeah. from my friends. But, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I was saying stuff that the yeah. girls like. Yeah, so, right. You know, right. So because right. I get, I got a pass on that until I actually develop my vocals better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I remember when I was in college at UNC, I think it was around, or maybe even afterwards, but all I know is, you know, the big, you know, collab that you had with Foxy Brown. Wayo, you know, that whole, yo, I mean, that is just so classic, man, you know. Tell me about how, you know, you feel like your music has, um, you know, evolved too, because, you know, you took a 10-year hiatus, right? Kind of. Kind of. Okay, so explain. Yeah. So let's go there. So let's go there. So yeah. you, what happened yeah. with the 10-year hiatus or, or, or why it, did it, you take some time away from it, and how long? Well, it, 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 it's not really a hiatus because I, I was constantly performing. I was, I was out there touring, performing constantly, like every week. I, and I recorded as well, but because you're not the hottest artist at the time, you know, you might not get the amount of airplay that the hot artists get. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was always here, but I wasn't releasing any albums. Mm -hmm. I released singles. But, you know, just not, you know, pushing out full albums all the while, no. every minute. No, right? no, not, right. not, not doing that. So right. can you explain to me and let, let me know if you agree, if your music you feel like evolved from, you know, more of the dance hall sound to more of the conscious music, right? Yeah. Talk about I that. I think, I think, I think so. Mm -hmm. And and probably that has to do with that same hiatus kind of thing that you're mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. Because consciously, I I kind of stayed away for real. Mm -hmm. Because certain things have to come out of your system. Mm -hmm. 
and it take time. And my, my whole development was trying to stay away from singing some of the things that came so natural to me. Mm-hmm. It come too natural to sing a gun song or a sex song mm-hmm. or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Take time because too much of that is in you. Get, get some more consciousness in you and, and bring that out of you. So that, that kind of spark, the, the, the change that people might see and think is a conscious change. But the thing is, I still remain raw. That's mm. what people don't know because I write the songs in the rawest form just the same. Yeah, but yeah. afterwards, then I edit it and change this and word modify. and change that word. I yeah. take out that line and keep it clean keep with, it. you know, a lot of the same energy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. tell me how the Rastafari, Rasta lifestyle even impacts the way that you, you know, try to compose the music now. Right. And that is, that is the reason for all of that because being a representative of Rastafari, you have to try have more self-control. Mm. I have to you have to censor yourself when it comes to to your words and your actions too. You have to you know be conscious. You're not gonna be perfect, but you have to try to set the right examples. Growing up in Jamaica, mm. Rastafari is everywhere. Of so course, it becomes like you're, you're, you're subconscious to be, like breathing. Yes, of course. You know, <laughs> yeah, man. Everybody's enjoying Rastafari. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, even for the people that don't understand, um, you know, some of the principles of the Rasta, Rastafari lifestyle, even now in your 50s that you're trying to really uphold now as a part of your life. When you're following the the, the teachings of Rastafari, you have to try, even as a Bobo Shanti, Mm -hmm. the first first order is uh, the Sabbath. We'll try to, to make sure that we keep that holy as much as possible. To observe it as much as possible, because that's one of the commandments. As Rastafari, um, diet, you know, the diet is 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 a great thing towards it. It's not what make your person, not what make your Rasta because you don't eat meat, mm-hmm. but you know, you try to follow like the Nazarene order mm-hmm. as far as it comes to your, your eating, your drinking, stuff like that. Your liberty, you try to be forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, you try to follow the the the, the the ways of his majesty because even in a war that that devastated his country after he, he gained victory and the and the, the, the the enemy soldiers that were trapped in his country he actually took them in and gave them a life gave them houses everybody could live as long as they wanted in the country without any fear of repercussions so them type of example they show you the levels that rastafari is at and that is the level that youth and you supposed to strive to be so you know you've been using your consciousness and your voice too to speak out on some of the things that you see around the world, whether it be, you know, Jamaica, whether it be Nigeria, I seeing, you know, some of the comments that you're making in regards to the SARS going on that has to do with the special anti-robbery squad, you know, right now in Nigeria, who was formed in the early nineties to combat the robbery in the city and the suburbs. And now there have been complaints and allegations about the forced kidnappings, tortures, extortion, etc. So to me, tell me why for you is important for you to speak up even on what you see as far as, you know, Africa and Nigeria. It's one world. Mm. It's one world. Mm-hmm. And his majesty said we have to be members of a human race looking out for our brothers in our human community. You know, and that is worldwide. So even more so for Africa, which is more similar to my race and to my to my look. Mm. Then 
all the, 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 the happenings over there, it, it, it kind of related to Jamaica in such a way that whatever Jamaicans are doing, Africans adapt it a lot. Because we find that we dance all over there, we reggae over there, we, we speech over there, a lot of Africans, even though we are Africans, them see Jamaica different mm. you know and them look up to us as well because i've seen that so we as it is prophesied as the ones out here have to go back with that message of consciousness of you know of, of productivity and and you know freedom the things that africa to us in this western hemisphere seem to be lacking because mm. Af africa seem to be exploited to the max mm. you know enslaved to the max genocide to the max everything to the max in africa mm -hmm. you know so we as the, the, the youths who connected to them through our dancehall music mm -hmm. it is our responsibility also to be their voices because we have a platform mm -hmm. so and that is how i see it yeah yeah not to mention when you think about you know the unfortunate passing <laughs> of your son and how he passed and what's going on in the streets of nigeria too you know yes youths that are police brutality we know police brutality and mm -hmm. Because the biggest the encouragement to crime is poverty. You make a man poor and you encourage him for a commit crime. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, so people battle, battle poverty. I've never seen a fight against poverty. Mm. I've seen a war against drugs, a war against this, a war against everything that actually boosts it. If you put that same attention into, you know, things like that, you know, instead of things that are yes. anti-peace, you and know, Africa, you this mm -hmm. world. Yeah. And Africa have all the resources, so why, why they can't come together? We have to be the ones that telling them this message say look into yourself you have all the resources why you look outside to other nations to come and develop it for you well you know speaking of you know trying to uh, trying to spread a peaceful message in africa you know that's something that bob marley did a lot when he was alive he traveled over there and tried to spread yes. those, that message too so yes. you know i'm just curious you know if bob marley were alive now you know what do you think would be his thoughts of the world right now what type of music you know you think he would be doing he would have some bad DJ tune. I know I can't believe, you know, you know, uh, even when you look at his children, you see his face. I mean, his his features yes. were so prominent. His music is still so prevalent. You know, it's almost like he's not gone. And yet it's just like, wow, you know, you think what, you know, would the music world be like right now if such a le legend was still alive, you know? I hear I hear Bob Marley in Stephen all the while. Yeah. And I hear it when Stephen DJ and how Bob would sound. Yeah, so, yeah, you yeah. know, I can hear it. And I know that Bob is a person that, to me, and what the little bit that I knew mm. was a, a person that was always up to date with what is happening. Yeah, you know, with the culture, with the speed. So when the thing changed, the DJ thing, but no, I'm gonna have a couple DJ tune. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> so listen, you also acted in the movie Shatters, Brooklyn, yeah. Babylon. So are we ever gonna see you in a movie again? I'm not sure, but uh, documentaries in the can. Yeah. Okay. You know, about so documentaries definitely about my journey, really. Mm -hmm. You know, coming up through, through, through life, my youth, youthful days, my brothers and sisters, you know, growing up in Dunkirk, some of my friends are in it, telling them stories of our youthful days. You know, um, the whole issue with Carlisle making up to the album, up to um, Shutter Culture album. Yes. And I will pause right there. So we're still to continue. But I've gotten some scripts. Yeah. 
and I have a, I have a bridging up in, in Boston who has sent me something really nice that I might think, you know, we might go about it independently. But Hollywood hasn't called. Okay. So you said Boston. So is that Donnie Wahlberg? You going to do something with the Wahlberg brothers? <laughs> you don't know those. Right, script yeah, yeah. and right and, and right message. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I love yeah, Shanta Because that's important. You come from. Well, hold on. Let me see if I remember. When did the wrong man? I shot a call shot. Yeah. You better penny everybody where you approach ya. Nowadays, anybody can touch ya. And then we turn you in a dinner for the vulture. 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 Hold on, it's coming to me. All the while, let me say I'm song where I repeat song. All the while, the same cycle, I repeat so make sure so your security are ultra Who you not check and suspect of them are out here That's how they live in when you're in a shot of culture Culture, culture so, so make sure so that you do this ultra. ultra So them a check on suspect cause them a ultra That's how they live in when you're in a shot of culture Culture See, so now I can say I officially rap and sing with Spragamans, right? Listen, I love that you come into my studio undefined with Josina Anderson. It was such a wonderful time bringing you into my studio. The next time you come, you have to bring Bun and Patty and Cola Champagne. And all. <laughs> well, I'm to you. You come the wrong all right. way. All right. Yeah? We're not cool. Sure all right. So sure thank that. you so much, Spraga. I appreciate you. Love and respect. All right. Love and respect. So we are welcoming in Deborah Hennicamp, who is a serious. Yes, thank you for waving us. That's, <laughs> that's so sweet of you, right? Who has the gift of seeing people's auras. And a lot of people know her as at Mama Medicine on Instagram. And not only is she a serious, but she's known as an initiated shaman, Reiki master, and yogini. <laughs> yeah, so we welcome you into the Undefined Studio with me, yours truly, Josine Anderson, this morning. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> It's so it's so nice to be here and it's so good to see you again. I love your place. It looks oh. so warm and cozy and beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And you know both of us, obviously, even you more so, um, are very connected to energy and how uh, energy emits off of us. And we're definitely going to get into that because one of the things I don't want to assume is that the audience understands exactly what a Cirrus is. So if you could first and foremost just explain that to us in your words. So for me, I use the word serious as a way to describe what I do, which is that I just really see a lot about people when I first meet them. Mostly I see the energy field, the colors and shapes around people, which is known as the aura. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I, I actually think that we can all kind of sense and feel energy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and for me, the strongest way to sense it is through sight. But I think, you know how like when you're, you're in a room and you feel like somebody's staring at you and then you turn around and then somebody quickly turns their head like that, that's, you're that's feeling energy. their energy. Yeah. And so when you see colors, explain to us what those colors mean. Um, well, there's different interpretations for each color. Just a really basic rundown. Um, would, yellow would mean intelligence and joy. Green is a lot of empathy and a natural healing energy. Blue is a lot of balance and focused on communication. Indigo is like a, the sacred rebel. <laughs> um, and somebody who has a little bit of like their own psychic vision themselves. Um, Violet would be somebody who's a dreamer, you know, that person who's always like, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this, and also will have vivid dreams at night. Mm -hmm. um, and then orange is a lot of focus on relationships, mm -hmm. relationship to one's work, relationship to others intimately, relationship to oneself, and then red is a lot of focus on family mm -hmm. and connection to one's roots. Red is usually like a very stable person. <laughs> yeah. Have you and, met a lot of those people that have, have like red around? Mix of them too. Oh, sorry. Are, are, are you, you seeing a lot of people with red around them lately, <laughs> or not during this pandemic? You know. Definitely not a lot of red. I would love to see more of it, but not a lot during this time. <laughs> so how did you come to? discover this gift and, and realize that it was something that, um, you know, could be interpreted in the sense that you just described to me. So I always saw colors around people, um, but I noticed that other people could not see auras when I was around 12 years old and I was explaining the colors and shapes around people to my friends. And they were like, what are you talking about? You're totally crazy. And that's when I realized that I was seeing something different. So I went to my school library and I began reading all these different books that would have some like essence or shape of the auric field within it. For example, William Blake's art has a lot of like, he paints a lot of the auras. I bet he probably saw auras too. Mm. So I studied a lot of his art. I read a lot about the aura through the work of the Theosophy Society and the descriptions of what the different colors meant. But I ended up finding my own interpretation around what the colors meant because it didn't all totally fit for me because sometimes we have like multiple colors and the colors of the aura change and all of that. Because I know that you then took that gift and tried to harvest it with your teachings and trainings uh, deep in the uh, jungles of Peru. So yeah. If you could explain that. Yeah. yeah you know, I, um, I have to say, like, I had a really tumultuous upbringing. Mm. Um, a lot of people who are very sensitive to energy in general, I think, have had some kind of, like, history of trauma and things like that in, in their childhood. And I think because I was exposed to a lot of suffering at a very young age, I wanted to do something that could really help people. And I wanted to use my gift to help heal the suffering that I was so familiar with at such a young age. 
And so I not only wanted to help others to heal, but I also wanted to heal myself and, and know that that was part, a big part of my journey, you know? So after high school, there was, I was completely on my own, first of all, 17 years old. It's like, good luck, like mm. figure it out kind of thing. Wow. And there was no university for what I wanted to do. So instead of going to college, I <coughs> went to um, back and forth to Thailand for five years and I studied energy healing and I studied crystals and sound healing and I studied yoga and Zen meditation. And then I went back and forth to the Amazon jungle, like eight hours deep outside of the closest port city into the Amazon jungle for eight years. Um, and this was of course like back and forth to New York, but I went for eight years and I did a whole apprenticeship within um, what's called vegetalismo, which is where you learn how to use not only the physical plants, but also the energy of the plants to help people heal. Yeah, and I just kind of want to go back to something that you said, because you mentioned that you went through um, a lot of trauma when you were 17 years old. Mm. You open up a little bit about that and how that uh, made you want to use your gift to heal yourself and others specifically. If you could just open up a little bit more about that. Yeah, totally. So, you know, this is also like with so much resolve and peace towards my parents now, because I think, you know, it's you, 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 maybe you choose your parents. I don't know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and life changes, my, life evolves, huh? Life changes and life evolves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and giving people an open space and a clean slate to be able to change and evolve is really good. But you know, when I was growing up, my dad was never around. He, um, he left my, he ended up eventually leaving my family for the person he was having an affair with, he, um, he started like a whole new family. So we were kind of out, out like casted in a way. All the while, my mom was a very abusive alcoholic. She would mix um, antidepressants with alcohol, but nobody knew that she was drinking or taking antidepressants. So we would come home to just the house being a wreck. There was like no, no stability at all. This isn't within one week. My dog died. My aunt, who was like a second mother to me, died. And my parents told us that they were getting a divorce and that we were on our own and had to figure out where we were gonna live. And all you of guys that. were so on your was... own at 17 years old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so interesting how, you know, and, and this is somewhat cliche, how when you look at people, when you interact with people, we all have no idea what each of us have gone through. You know what I mean? And one of the things that, and obviously you and I have, you know, known each other before, but, and, I, and this is somewhat of a deviation from where we are, 
but one of the things I always tell people about you when I'm describing you to people is I'm like, her aura is, is so, like her um, her skin and her aura, everything is so peaceful, you know what I mean? And it's not many people that you walk past where you just feel that, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I bring that back to say is that we never know what is at the bottom of all of our wells and what we've gone through and what kind of forces us to, you know, seek inner healing in different ways to even, you know, kind of patch up um, or, um, I guess, heal, you know, things that we've been through. It's important to mention this at this time, you know, 2020 and things can feel so chaotic for so many people. There is always this this well of peace and calm deep within us that we can access and 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 it will change the vibration of our external world as well uh, yeah, I hear yeah. so what i want you to share with us if you can you mentioned that you were going back and forth to new york um you know going deep into the jungles and that is peru correct was, mm -hmm. yeah so yeah tell us a little bit more about the teachings um, that you had and what um, enabled you to become an initiated shaman? I, so I had two teachers. One was my teacher and then the next one was my teacher's teacher. Mm -hmm. And my first teacher taught me a lot about energy protection mm. and how to hold space for myself and space for other people. Mm. Um, and a lot of the beginning of the training was kind of like energetic defense where like he would send dark energy towards me and I would have to learn how to defend and to protect myself. And I would use all these different talismans like, you know, crystals and, and things like that. And nothing would work, nothing would work, nothing would work. And then finally I realized that the only thing more powerful than what he was sending towards me was love and at that I was I was very young when I started all of this I was 24 when I started that whole thing and but that took a while to be able to even get there so explain what a shaman is you know and exactly you know um what they do well the word shaman originates from Siberia but it's been more largely embraced to describe a person who travels between the different dimensions for healing and can kind of reach into somebody's soul, find where the imbalances are, and through whatever their practices are, you know, the way I learned it was through singing, specifically singing to different plants. Um, you're able to help a person find healing and balancing. Because I know when people hear that, you know, you're singing to plants, I want you to go a little, you know, I want, because I, mean, I get all that and I, f I find that, you know, cool and, you know, what have you, but I really want mm -hmm. people to understand. So why is it, you know, that you're singing to plants? And can you also, I know that there's these things called these healing songs as well, right? Yeah. So if you can explain mm -hmm. that, yeah. yeah. For the sake of brevity, to loosely describe what the apprenticeship was like for you, for me for that time it involved a lot of going into the amazon jungle being alone and open to the elements of the amazon jungle no face wash no phone no toothpaste even no salt no sugar no nothing that changes your smell 
or your 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 energy field at all. So you're really, really alone, right? You're not supposed to bring books, not even a journal. It's just you and the jungle. Mm -hmm. You wow. eat like potatoes mm -hmm. or um, boiled green plantains wow. and you get you eat one time a day and then you also drink a really strong brew of a different plant you know one plant the the first plant that I was given is for giving you really strong roots when life has kind of torn you off your feet. It gives you the ability to reestablish your roots. Likewise, it also has a physical property of healing the kidneys. Mm. So What's you do that for about... <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of this plant that's supposed to help you do that? Well, it's called Bobinsana. Right. And it is from the mimosa family. Okay. Okay. Not mimosa, like yeah, because I know people here. Oh, I <laughs> <laughs> people are like oh, I just need to have a mimosa, and that's gonna make me feel better. Okay. No problem. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So keep going. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you you ask the plant to teach you how to sing to that plant, so that you may access it for healing and in the Amazon a shaman's power is determined by the amount of Icaros not only that they know but also that they receive and they they feel as though if you're singing to a plant that you have not dieted with if you're singing an Icaro which is the medicine song to a plant that you have not dieted with there's no there's no power behind the Icaro so you sing to the plants that you have dieted with, that you have had that experience with. And if you're, you're really aligned and it's really the right moment for you, the plant itself will give you an Icaro to sing to it. So in the Icaros, you'll hear a lot of singing to plants that the shaman has dieted with, animals that they've met along their way, and of course, the spirit of the earth as well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so after going all of through all of this training, you know, what is the purpose that you are trying to derive from this, you know, through all of this? Um, it was it wasn't so intentional. It was one of those things that kind of just like fell into my lap and it felt like the right thing to do. And so I kept going with it for eight years. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that eight years, when you know, I receive my initiation and it's like, okay, you're now um, a shaman. You can now lead your own ceremonies and all of that. Felt like, uh-oh, I don't want to do this. Okay. <laughs> like, for, you know, for a few different reasons. Um, one is that like when I began eight years prior, there, nobody really knew about going to the jungle for healing. Nobody really knew about, you know, the master plant that most people go there for, which is ayahuasca. And I thought that that was so beautiful. And at the same time, I didn't want to be a representation of taking from a culture that wasn't mine necessarily or that I wasn't born into, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it, it left me with this question, which was like, well, what really is mine? Mm -hmm. Who who am I really in in this world, in this healing path? And what I realized is, you know, through all these amazing experiences that I've had on this journey, the one thing that's always been really true for me is that I've always seen a lot about people when I first meet them through their aura. 
And the second thing that was definitely given to me within the Amazon is learning how to use my voice, um, not only for singing, but for speaking from the heart. That kind of culminated into where you are currently, which is, um, you know, one, initially having developed this place called Space, which I even visited to experience, mm -hmm. which you, you know, had a, um, a physical space in New York. And but now you also have an online community uh, where you help people with your medicine readings and also have become known as at Mama Medicine on Instagram. So explain kind of the evolution of what you, you know, transitioned from in the Amazon to creating this community that you were, you know, serving with your gifts, especially in the New York City area initially? I began seeing people for what is now known as a medicine reading 20 years ago. I started seeing people one-on-one. -on -one. And it was really interesting for me to watch different practices kind of fade away or fall away or different tools that I picked up fade away and fall away, but yet have this one-on-one -on -one group and retreat experience where I read the aura of the person and then or the group and then we do a healing ceremony around it. Yeah. yeah. And so when someone uh, comes in for a medicine reading, uh, you mentioned that you, you know, you, you read their aura. What else happens in that ceremony? And what do you feel like uh, people are trying to, you know, get out of it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that most people come feeling like they might be spiritual in an undefined way. Mm -hmm. And they want to just have a deeper understanding of themselves. Mm -hmm. that's, that's most of the time. Now, of course, there's a lot of people who come at different um, crossroads in their lives, such as like marriage or divorce or... Um, they want to move or they want to have a child or they want to change careers and, and things like that. And I offer just some guidance around that based on what's in their aura. But I'm, my work is so focused on being one's own healer. Mm -hmm. So I never just like have people sit down and then tell them everything that's in their aura that I see. Mm -hmm. I want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. What are you calling in? What are you clearing out? What's going on in life? I want to have you kind of guide the whole session. Mm -hmm. So when I read your aura, you almost don't even know that I'm reading your aura because it's a lot of the stuff that maybe you've been feeling but haven't put words to or you've been sensing and maybe some surprising things. Mm -hmm. And that is just to for you to realize that it, it, it all comes from you, basically. And then the other thing, too, that you also incorporate is uh, sound healing. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, is just really, really, uh, you know, magical for, um, you know, anyone who's into, you know, meditation and, you know, clearing the subconscious and, you know, trying to arrive to a place that's still, you know, and hearing within. And then also, too, just understanding, you know, the power of the mind you know, and how you can almost, you know, try to um, connect to that mental energy and almost try to, at least what I try to do when I'm meditating is, and when I have the time, is to, you know, almost try to scan myself. Yeah. 
and, you know, kind of, you know, see what comes up and, and, and give it time to surface and clear and even, you know, ask, you know, th that, you know, processed, you know, to, you know, to kind of clear those spaces. Um, so if you could kind of tell me, you know, how you use sound healing, you know, for yourself, um, and, you know, kind of the different, you know, vibrations that you try to, you know, work with too in that, in that realm. In Space by Mama Medicine, I actually like encourage a lot of the members to use sound healing for themselves. And we meet for medicine reading ceremonies, which a large part of it is using these really beautiful crystal bowls. They're called crystal tones bowls. Real, really quick, the way a sound healing works, just in case... You've never heard of it yeah. before, and yeah, you're like, what are we talking about? Right. <laughs> and sometimes it's like, yeah, break it down, Joe, break it down. <laughs> so, right, right. you know, um, sound creates a vibration. And if you, if you put a glass of water on a speaker, for example, and it's playing music, you'll notice that the water is rippling with the sound um, and creating a current right? And we are made out of mostly water. So we are actually deeply affected by sound. And when we engage in sound healing, the vibration that the sound is creating is creating currents of peace and currents of balance and currents of healing within us. And, you know, you, you can be a total novice, never even meditated a day in your life and try sound healing and have a really profound experience. Now this isn't guaranteed because obviously it's all what we're open to, but still it's just a, like a matter of fact that sound shifts water. We are water. So sound will shift us. One of the things I do want you to mention real quick is just the energy centers, you know, that we have and how, you know, the different sounds connect to those energy centers. And if, and if you, if you can integrate into that, just kind of, you know, the, the root of that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is going into, back into like yogic philosophy and mm -hmm. Hindu philosophy and Hindu practices, mm -hmm. which define seven different energy centers along the spine mm -hmm. called the chakras. And um, there is a different sound key that links up with each chakra. When you hear the key of B, mm -hmm. it will link up with your crown chakra mm -hmm. the top of your head mm -hmm. and it will help you relax it will help you sleep it will help you dream and all of that so there it's also really interesting with the chakra system there's even even the endocrine system aligns with the chakra system like there's a gland that aligns with each chakra and the endocrine system is again a very watery system within us so it's it's a very curious thing because i don't know that the ancient yogis who discovered the chakra system in the first place necessarily knew that there was a gland that lined up with each one, but something they sensed and tried to characterize. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the sound of B, which, you know, connects to the crown chakra. You know, one of the ones I think a, a lot of people love is the sound that resonates to the heart because it just mm -hmm. so it's so grounding. And I, you know, what I, what I find that's very interesting, Deborah, is that when you play these sounds and I, I don't know if you have to be naturally intuitive, I don't know if you have to be an empath. I don't know if you have to have some type 
type of, you know, clear sense. But I, I at least know for me that when I play those sounds, I do feel them hit those chakras, even without, or those, those regions. And I don't know if everyone has that experience, but I know I feel it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah, and the the key for the heart is F, and I think that that's such a beautiful place to start with because I feel like if we can bring healing and balancing into the heart, it's going to help to balance everything out as well. You also do this work abroad. I've seen on your Instagram page that you go to Italy. You're all over the world with how you mm -hmm. try to collect, you know, people and get them to do this. Can you explain how you've taken these teachings even after going international, coming back to the motherland, you know, domestically, mm -hmm. and then also still going abroad internationally with this? Because you still travel, you know, the world, maybe not so much now, but, you know, yeah. even more so, yeah. I love that I get to go to places like Morocco and lead a retreat there and, you know, Italy and um, I, I, Ireland and Sicily and all these different like beautiful places all over the world, Paris, London, the Netherlands. And, and for me, it's bringing the medicine of reconnecting to nature and understanding that we are in nature to all these different parts of the world because i believe that if we can really understand that we are nature we belong to nature then we will love and respect nature and i feel like it's this beautiful kind of healing cycle that will begin to occur in march you released the book uh with the yeah path. so can you explain to us about these luxurious baths are more than just, you know, Calgon, take me away. There's like a, the, <laughs> there's a purpose to these baths that you do. So explain what a ritual bath is. <laughs> I have the book here. I'll just show it to you really quick. Cause how beautiful is that? And you love that, uh, that color flower. I've seen that multiple times with you. Yeah. I really I do. I see that. Yeah. Uh huh. I love it. Yeah. Um, I, and I love pink and green together yes, so yes. much. That's kind of my room in my space. It's, it's more purple, pink, yeah. and green. But yeah, it's kind of, kind of similar. Yeah. It's like all these different fun pictures in it too. But it's basically like a cookbook for baths with a lot of um, personal stories because these questions. Yeah, I'll show you more. Yeah. These, um, these questions that you were asking me in the beginning like how did you get started with all of this you know this is something that i get asked a lot but it's easier to write it all yeah. and put it into a book rather than you know explain it really quick in five minutes because yeah. a lot can get lost there right. Right. um so each bath begins with like a different little story and then you get ingredients and then you get a ritual and it's all separated by aura color um, and there's this really cute little aura quiz in the back of the book where you can figure out your aura color, which is super fun. Uh -huh. And also you can just read through the whole book. And my favorite way to use the book, though, is as a divinatory tool where you just close your eyes and you open up to any bath. And that's the bath that you need to take. Just make sure you really clarify what is a ritual bath, you know, and how and how you go about putting each type of bath together. Because I want people to be clear on that. All it is is a 
bath that you put intention into. Like we all know we feel one way before we take a bath and we feel another way once we get out of that bath. I think that that feeling of being cleansed goes a lot deeper than just the body. I think it's also our spirits that's being cleansed. So the ritual bath is just using some herbs, some smells, some crystals, some intentions to to really make the bath a powerful way to be our own healer. And my last question is, you know, right now, you know, so many people are going through so much, you know, yeah. with what's going on in the world, you know, with the pandemic and people losing their jobs or what have you. So, you know, I know that you said even in this time, you've been able to be more of a mama and be, you know, home and, you know, not as abroad and, and doing, you know, things that maybe you would do in your typical schedule. But mm -hmm. can you just explain to us, you know, what you've been seeing in this time and how whether even though it's not as frequently, um, how you've been helping maybe some, you know, people during this time as well? Yeah, well, I've, I've been really, really busy during this time seeing people for one-on-one -on -one medicine readings online and during space, and I'm really happy to be available for people. Um, and, I, and I don't want to, like, weigh you down with what is coming up for people, but I have to just say, I'm becoming increasingly more and more concerned about the mental health crisis, which is really, I think, a mixture of a loneliness crisis and um, possibly even a gratitude crisis. And <clears throat> people who were coming six months ago and, and kind of with a medicine reading where it's like, I think I might be spiritual. Now they're coming back and they're like, you know, why am I even here? Like, what's the purpose? Like, I feel like giving up, basically. So you feel like you're encountering people who are dealing with, you know, more isolation and depression. Yeah, severe, severe depression. Yeah, severe anxiety, severe depression. You know, honestly, um, some, some people have been directly affected by COVID as well, and they're dealing with this fear of, like, what will be the repercussions of this and things like that. But for the most part, it's severe, severe depression that I've noticed coming up, you know? And, and also, though, there's like a a silver lining in it too, where a lot of people have lost these jobs and things that have no, that probably like weren't serving them in the first place. And with everything that's going on, they're looking more at it. Like, how can I show up for others rather than like, what's the next thing I can do to make a bunch of money? I actually think that there is a lot of purpose in all of this. And maybe things have to get a little bit worse before they get better. But I ultimately think that this is a necessary part of our human evolution, especially within our consciousness. Well, I definitely appreciate you helping to, you know, share your life experiences with us, you know, your gift with us, and ultimately helping to explain to people how, you know, that gift and uh, illuminating even just self, you know, healing can be, um, you know, something that is beneficial for people even during, you know, this time. So thank you for sharing that with yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so good to see you. Thank uh, you so much for thinking of me. Of course, Deborah, And for all of you guys, 
guys listening remember her book, The Ritual Bath, which came out in March as well. And she has her um, online space, you know, Space by Mama Medicine, where you can connect with her um, in a virtual way as well. So everybody check out for Deborah Hannacamp, and thank you for joining Undefined with Josina Anderson. Ah, thank yay. you. Of course, you're welcome. <laughs>So we welcome back in comedian, author, D-Lay, otherwise known as It's D-Lay on Instagram. Thank you for coming back for this segment of Random Mess. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you, I listened. There was a long commercial break. I didn't know yeah. how long it was going to be. Yeah. And I was about to step outside, you mm. know, and take me a little swim. Mm. I mean, I was, that's what I meant. Looks like this you're already I'm outside. At. I don't know that you had to step outside. I'm just saying, no. Actually, I'm, I'm inside of a penthouse. And if oh. I, when I slide the door, that's oh. the beach. That's the beach? That's why okay. I'm balling out of control. Okay. Yeah, because I really ain't seen that one darn song walk past you since this whole genre. I know, Stella I know, I know, Right, I, you ain't even got Stella on there from Got a Groove Back. Ain't nobody uh, walk past you, I'm just saying. <laughs> actually, this is the island that Tom Hanks was caught on in oh, Castaway. Okay. If you look to the left, you'll mm. see the little basket, the little soccer ball. Yeah, it's a volleyball. That, still got it there. <laughs> Who cares? We are moving cares? on to this segment of Random Mess where we look back uh, from something in the week that was just random that you saw, that you heard, and we make fun of it. So pretty simple. So this week, there was a clip of Cowboys defensive coordinator Mike Nolan having to stop his press conference because his eyes started stinging. Because why? He had Tabasco on his hands that he rubbed into his eyes that messed up his eyes and he had to stop talking about football. You know, as far as I think disrupting the quarterback, he's, he's you know, escaped several times to do that. Uh, obviously the frustration for him as well is just, you know, look, when he misses him, nobody, whoops, excuse me. I got something in my eye. Um, just had some Tabasco on my finger and it went in my eye. That wasn't good. When was the last time that you were talking to somebody, D-Lay, and you had to say, um, excuse me, um, <clears throat> Just had some Tabasco on my finger and it went in my eye. I got, <laughs> I got Tabasco in my eye. Just had some Tabasco on my finger and it went in my eye. That wasn't good. I gotta walk away from this conversation. Oh, never good. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Mm. Uh, last week. Oh, really? Oh, last tell week, me. Mm -hmm. At a crawfish bowl. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Louisiana. Oh, okay. That's what would happen here. Coach was eating crawfish. Oh, that's and put too much damn Tabasco sauce <laughs> on it. Don't play with that. Uh, Tabasco sauce will halt your ass. Yeah. I don't care what you thought you was about to say. It's terrible. Jeez. Get some Tabasco <laughs> sauce in your eye, and it matriculates down to your nose, and somehow it gets to your throat area, and you. <laughs> All right, we're back. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm sorry, but then I don't re remember the question. If you give it to me again. <laughs> <laughs> Tabasco sauce will turn the volume down on your throat. Oh. Matriculate? Yes, that, that's what you picked out of the uh, island dictionary behind you? <laughs> uh, mm. Webster, I do a word every day. <laughs> Matriculate. Candy. Matriculate. Oh. When you're at a press yeah. conference, it's not like you're in the middle of eating. So this means that the Tabasco was still on his fingers, delay. Oh. Which means yeah. that he didn't wash his hands? Oh, never good. I, 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 that's what it boils down to. That's what it boils down to. Mm, mm, okay, I just want to get confirmation. In this pandemic, we're going to need you to wash your hands. So Tabasco from not today, we don't even know when that Tabasco came from. We don't know when it, we don't even it, know it, when it right. came from. We don't from. even know. And the way you wash your hand is a reflection <laughs> on how you wash your ass, says my grandmother. And that's what I ain't that, going that's there, Mike. No, no, I ain't doing that. <laughs>
And you know why, folks? That is why we call it Random Mess, and we appreciate everybody give a round of applause, including my dog, rolling around the carpet in the living room of the Undefined Studio, acting like she ain't gotten a home train and delay. The comedian, author, we appreciate you. Yes, as you do your preacher curls coming into the Undefined with Josina Anderson Studio. Thank you for having me, JoJo. Enjoyed you. Much success to you and the show. Yes, and I'm hopefully you'll send me two free tickets to your island of nowhere with um, Henry on the volleyball, soccer ball, and every other ball that wasn't the right ball. I have a COVID test. I got my own oh, physician oh, over oh, here. Oh, you have to have a COVID test? 